0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's kind of fun, you know, being the morning guy today. You know, you guys are really having a really international service today, you know? You had a guy or Bible class in South Africa, and now me, Costa Rica, you know? Really cool. Let's talk about fear. Let's talk about what makes us afraid. Because one Christian writer wrote, fear is the greatest hindrance to evangelism today. And he explains it this way. Do you cringe as you approach someone with the gospel message? Does your stomach begin to churn in agonizing pain to the point that you rationalize that they probably have already heard it and do not need you to say anything, so you walk away in dread? I have done this and still do this at times. Even after doing, teaching, and writing on this for over 20 years, I still allow my fears to win out at times. For me, this is a constant battle. Perhaps it is for you too. We Christians who are saved by Christ and who love the Lord with all our hearts and minds are the biggest barrier to others. Hearing of the gospel, why? Because most of us are fearful to witness. We are scared to death of what other people may think. In my personal life, and in many others, fear is what gets the best of us. Fear is what scares us to go out and evangelize. And isn't that a bit sad that we're the ones who sometimes are causing a hindrance to the evan- to evangelism because we're afraid to go up and talk to someone? Acts 14, 19 describes a time when Paul was dragged out of the city of Lystra and he was stoned. He was stoned so badly that the Jews who had stoned him thought he was dead. But you know what Paul did? He didn't die. What Paul did right after he was stoned is that he got back up and he went and preached some more. That is fearlessness. And that is what made Paul an effective evangelist is that he was fearless, he wasn't afraid. And when he preached everywhere, from Greece to Israel to Rome, he did so fearlessly. And time and time again in the Acts, God tells Paul not to fear, but to continue to preach. Look at what God says in Acts 18, beginning in verse 9. Acts 18, beginning in verse 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Paul was fearless. And if we are, able, if we are ever To be as brave and as fearless as Paul. We must follow his example. And today I'd like to talk to you about just that. Fearless evangelism. That's what we're going to be talking about. Fearless evangelism. And how we can all be fearless evangelists in our lives. But before we talk about fearless evangelism, let's talk about what makes us afraid. What scares us to go out there and preach to other people? What scares you? What gets into your mind that stops you from going and talking to that bus driver of yours, to that guy at the grocery store, or to your coworker? is it that scares you the most about that? So why are we afraid? Well, maybe why we're afraid, and it's no wonder that we're afraid, really, because we live in a world where Christians are being beheaded for their faith. We have Christians who are falling by the sword because they refuse to fall to Muhammad, we have Christians who are losing their jobs because they refuse to glorify homosexuality and abortion. And we have Christians who will refuse to take bribes and because of that they lose their jobs. And so it's no wonder that sometimes we're afraid. So Maybe the next guy that we talk about Christ to could lead us to jail. But that shouldn't surprise us or it shouldn't deter us from evangelism. In fact, Jesus himself warns us this is what's going to happen if we do evangelize. He warns us this. And I know a a man, a teacher of mine, who was in the business world for many years. And on one of his business trips to China, when he got to the airport, his co-worker said, where's your bottle of whiskey? And he says, what do you mean my bottle of whiskey? Yeah, you were supposed to bring a bottle of whiskey. A $150 bottle of whiskey. And he says, well, why should I bring that? Well, you see, that's the way they do business here. You bring them a bottle, it's to bribe them. He didn't last long in that job. Because he didn't want to be exposed to that. And Jesus warns us that that's what's going to happen. It says in Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 9. Mark 13, beginning in verse 9. But watch out yourselves. For they will deliver you up to councils. And you will be beaten in the synagogues. For you will be brought before the rulers and kings for my sake. For a testimony to them. And the gospel must be first to be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand. Or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. So yes, it could be persecution that we fear. It could also be rejection and ridicule that scares us the most to go and evangelize. I remember a story. This is a funny story. I was in a roller coaster with a friend of mine. And it's one of the tallest roller coasters. So when you get up to the tippy-tippy top of the roller coaster, you literally see for miles on end. And then when you go down, it, it feels as if you're about to crash right into the floor. And it takes you around and does all these crazy loops. And so naturally, my friend wanted to be in the front row. And I, 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 let, me, let me tell you something about myself. I'm afraid of heights. I hate heights. And so this was, this, was my, these were, this was my hands the whole time. And he says, let's go to the front row. It'll be fun, man, I promise. And so we go on and we go down. And now, of course, you know, I'm, my heart's in my hand right at by that time. And we get all done with it. And, w- and I look at him and I say, you know, Zach, that was pretty scary. But I'll tell you what it wasn't as scary as. Asking a girl out on a date is still scarier than that. And it's true because it's rejection. Because we all want to be loved. It's a simple fact of life. And in fact, many psychologists tell us that for someone to be mentally stable, you have to have at least one good friend in your life. And we want people to love us. We care about that. That just is something that's ingrained in our lives. And the very thought that someone might reject us in that way, or even we go to a job interview and someone says no, that can be scary to us. And maybe we're afraid to evangelize because we're afraid to talk to Christ to our friends or to our co-workers. Because maybe we're afraid if we start talking to a friend of ours from from work or from school about God, they're going to say, you know what, I don't really want to hang out with you anymore. I don't want to talk about Jesus. Maybe it's that kind of rejection that we're afraid of. But what about ridicule? Are we sometimes afraid to talk to someone about Jesus because we're afraid that they'll say, oh, you're one of them Jesus freaks, or you're one of those radical Christians. Maybe that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of the name-calling. And I'll give you firsthand, I used to do that with Christians. Before I was a Christian, I said some mean things. I remember being in my high school elementary class with one of my cousins who was a member of a denominational church. And it was a science class, and she sort of implied that she thought that people and dinosaurs lived together. And I looked at her straight in the face, and I said, You know, Lucy, that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. How ignorant of you to believe such a thing. And I made her feel very sad. And she said, I, I, I don't know. That's just, that's just what we've always believed. I don't know. Talk to my uncle about it. I made her feel real sad. And I feel real bad now. But maybe that's the kind of thing that we're afraid of. We're afraid of somebody saying that to us. We're afraid of receiving that kind of rejection. And with rejection comes also the fear of failure. Maybe we're afraid that we have failed if we go and evangelize. Perhaps we're afraid that if we evangelize with someone, it won't bring about a conversion or a baptism. Maybe we're afraid that we don't know enough, and then we, ha- we might give the wrong answer. Or worse, they may ask a question that we just don't know the answer to. And maybe your greatest fear when talking to someone about God is that you talk with them, and things go well. You have Bible study after Bible study after Bible study with them. They seem receptive, they're reading more, but ultimately they say, no, thank you. I would rather not pursue this anymore. Or maybe you're afraid to talk to your family members about God. And they may even say, look, if you want a relationship with me, let's just not talk about religion. And we can feel defeated, and we can feel like failures when people won't listen to us, when they won't listen to you, when they won't hear what you're going to say. But you know what? There are churches out there, just like Brother Warren, talked about today, and he did an excellent job talking about his trials in evangelism. He talked about churches, how there are members, there are churches where their members are very few, maybe less than five, and maybe that can be a discouragement to us as well. But with per- persecution, with rejection and ridicule, and with failure, there is a way to overcome these These fe- fears. And so how do we overcome our fears? How do we overcome our fears? Well, first, we must focus on the joy of the Lord. Focus on the happiness that God can give you through salvation, and not what man can do or give to you. Turn with me to James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. If you will please turn with me there to James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy. Focus on the joy of the Lord. And in fact, rejoice when you suffer persecution. Rejoice when you suffer persecution. And I know that is something easier said than done. But when you are are persecuted, God is glorified. A godly example is met. And you, yourself, are doing your Christian duty. Because your prize is in heaven. And through persecution, you are earning that. And maybe sometimes, if we're not causing enough disagreements with other people? Maybe it's because we're not being as active Christians as we should be. Look what it says in Matthew 5, 11. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Or Philippians 1, beginning in verse 27. Only let your conduct Be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. And 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. When you're persecuted, God is glorified. You are leading an example that many men before you led. And you are doing your Christian duty. And you are not suffering. Your suffering isn't like a murderer on death row. Your suffering isn't like some thief in jail. Your suffering is the suffering of a Christian. And because of that, your reward is waiting for you in heaven. Murderers and thieves, they have prison to look forward to the rest of their lives. And if the law is just, sometimes they'll get the death penalty. But you, you have something much better than death to look forward to. You have the gift of heaven. And for that, you should be rejoiceful when you suffer through persecution. And the next thing is you must embrace the love of God. 1 John four eighteen says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. One writer who I was reading recently put it this way, There is no human alive that can love you as completely and as fully as you need to be loved and there never will be. Only God can do that. The first step in overcoming the fear of rejection is to put God first in place because he's the only one who can ultimately meet all your needs. Does God ever love us through other people? Of course, does God want us to love others? Yes, he does. Does he want us to use us as a channel of love? Absolutely. But you will never have all your needs met by any person or group of people. God never meant it to be that way. They just don't have enough love. Human love is limited. God's love is unlimited and unconditional. No matter how deep your need is, he can fill it. Embrace God's love. Know that God loves you. And whatever hole you have in your heart, be it because of sadness or of guilt or of sad things that happen in your life, People will be there to help you and they will encourage you, of course. But only one can fill that heart with love. Only that, only one can make your heart complete and that is in God. So don't be afraid of being rejected by people and not having their love. Because ultimately, if those psychologists were wrong, you don't need just one friend to be well. You just need the greatest friend to be well. And the greatest friend that you'll ever have is Christ Jesus. For he loved you so much that he died on that cross for you. So don't be afraid of being rejected or ridiculed. Because your father up in heaven loves you so much. Greater love can be found in giving your life up for your friends. And Christ is your best friend. What about the results? That still doesn't help me with the fact that I study with my sister or my brother or my friend or neighbor, and they still won't listen to me. They still won't go to church with me. They still don't get it, Gabe. Why don't they pay attention? Why can't they see this is important to me? Why aren't they becoming Christians yet? That brother down the street had a Bible study with his family and they're going to church with him on every Sunday. They're faithful. I hear one of them already baptized. What about my family? Why aren't they Christians yet? If all I've been doing is working and working for that, but they still won't listen. Well, we need to rely on the power of God. We need to rely on the power of God. Because God ultimately is the one who produces the results. God produces the results, not us. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 5, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Because ultimately there's nothing that you can do that will make them grow. It will be God who will change their hearts and not you. I'm reading a book, one of the many books that Ken makes me uh, read this summer. Not makes me; I want to read them. (laughs) Don't tell him I told you that. And in it, it's called "Letters to Young Preachers," and it's preachers who have years of knowledge, and they're sharing it to preachers. And it's written as if he's writing to me and to anyone who reads it. and And one of the letters, it's by a man called Frank Jamerson. And he says this about this very concept, how God is the one who produces results. It's not going to be you or me. It's going to be God. And he says, a great burden is removed from your shoulders when you realize that you are not accountable for making people believe or live right. Your job is to preach, not to police. God does not hold us accountable to learn or to live for others. He expects us to teach what the Bible says and apply it in our own lives, the hearers are responsible for what they believe and practice, not you. The hearers are responsible for what they believe, not you. Because our success as Christians, when we are successful, when we are fulfilled, it's not how many people we've baptized in our lives. It's how much work did we put into that? Because success equals sowing. And we're being successful when we're sowing the seed. Because sometimes we think that a gospel meeting that we've hosted has failed because no one was baptized, or that a sermon failed because no one came forward. Our purpose isn't that, that's God's job. Our job, your and my job, is to sow the seed. That's it. That's all we need to do. We need to sow the seed. Because if you are working for the kingdom of God and planting seeds wherever you go, planting the word of God in any place that you walk, you are doing your purpose on earth and you are fulfilling your job. Because gardeners can't make a seed grow. They can create the optimum conditions for the seed. They can water it. They can put fertilizer in it. They can make sure that the earth is rich. But ultimately, the decision for that seed to grow is the seed itself. It can be a bad seed or it can be a good seed. But ultimately, it will be that seed which will grow into a gigantic and mighty spruce or it will grow into a weed and wither and die. But that's not your job. Your job is to work that land, to water it. And if something great will grow from there, it will. But it will be because God allowed that seed to grow. It will not be because of something that you did, it will be because of what God did. But that's your job to be a farmer, to grow, to grow seeds. And God's not going to punish you on the day of judgment because He's going to go up to you and say, Well, you didn't baptize the quota. No, He's going to say, How hard did you work for my kingdom? How much effort did you put into it? How many days were you out there in the sun of sin? How many days were you there cutting your hands, getting blisters for my, for my garden? How much work did you put in there? Not how much did you grow, but how much work did you put? Because success equals sowing. Success equals sowing. So we've seen what, we, what makes us afraid. We've seen how we can overcome our fears. But what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? How are you going to take this in? How are you going to make this into your lives to apply this? Well, the first thing is, don't fear man. Do not fear man. Because men may put us in prison. They may persecute us. And they may kill us and they can beat us to death. And like the ancient Christians, some were fed to lions, some were crucified, some were skinned alive and put in boiling water. But only one is in control of your soul. Only one decides what's going to happen to your soul, and that is God. And God is in control of your soul. Do don't fear persecution. Be glad because you are following in the footsteps of Christ. Your faith is true. And God reigns over the kingdoms of men. He makes one empire rise and one empire fall like that. The book of Daniel teaches how easy it is for one empire to rise. But for another one to quickly come and destroy it overnight. The Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, fell to Cyrus in one quick night. That's how powerful God can be. That's how in control God is. So don't fear any earthly king, but fear the crown of he who stands in heaven. Because Psalm 118 verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Man may hit you. Man may revile you. But they can't do anything to harm your soul because God is in control. And we must fear God. Don't fear man. Fear God. Because fear the power that God has over your soul. He has commanded you to spread his gospel. He has commanded you to be his example throughout the world, wherever you go. Because we need to fear the power that God has over our soul. See what God has done in you. And you will be compelled, compelled To spread the word of God just as Peter and James did because fear God involves honoring him revering him and knowing that he is in control of all and when we accept that God is in control of our lives and that he is the one watching over us and protecting us we have nothing to fear look what it says in Acts 4 verse 18 Acts 4 verse 18 what happens is that Peter and James were preaching Christ. They were preaching the gospel. And they were brought before the Sanhedrin. And this is what happens. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing. But we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We have this. We have the holy word of God. Fear God. Fear he who wrote this. Not fear he, man. And you will not help but speak the word of God. Because you will have seen and read what men, faithful men throughout the ages have done for God and in your faith and in your life. Remain faithful. And you must be of good courage. And be of good courage. When Joshua was about to lead the Israelites into the promised land, when Joshua had just received leadership from Moses, can you imagine... What an act to follow. He had to follow Moses. Numbers says that he was one of the most humble men ever. One of the greatest leaders. He parted the Red Sea. He turned his he would throw his staff on the ground and it would become a serpent. He would strike rocks and water would come from that. Do you know how hard that would be? For Joshua to to be a leader after he's seen all of that? Or the fear is that the men were giants that they would have to invade. The fear that we'd have to do into conquering the new land, into the conquering the promised land. But God tells, Moses to God tells Joshua in Joshua nine, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Those must have been very comforting words to Joshua. Don't be afraid. I am with you. As you go into the promised land, as you are carrying out those invasions, those trials, I am with you. Or David to Solomon. When Solomon was about to become king, David told Solomon, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not, be f- do not fear or nor be dismayed, for the Lord my God will be with you. Solomon had a, had a really hard time. He had some brothers who wanted to take his place. But David tells him, be strong. God is with you. Be of good courage. Be strong and be faithful. Because ultimately, your testimony is evangelism. And the way you live, you are evangelizing. Because no one can take away your testimony. Because there is not an atheist on the planet that can reason away or argue with the life that comes from walking faithfully with God. There is no sword from a terrorist that is sharp enough to cut the bond that God has made with you, and there is no task or feat scary enough that you cannot overcome with Christ Jesus. Jesus is at this very moment changing you through God's word. He is changing you through the better, not because he can, but because he loves you. When you wake up, that should be the one deep truth of the gospel— It should continue to amaze you. You are the walking, talking, laughing, singing, breathing evidence of Jesus Christ on this world. And your life is as evidence for the existence and the glory of God. Do not let fears take hold of you. God is on your side. And is changing you for the better. Fear God. Do not fear persecution. Do not fear rejection. Do not fear failure. Be a bright light into all the world. God is with you always. Be fearless in your evangelism. And when we are fearless in our evangelism, and we have worked and worked all our lives to speak up, to sow the seed, to be faithful workers of God, We have the greatest reward waiting for us in heaven. It says in Revelations 2.10, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. But Look what God says. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for being so attentive. I've enjoyed preaching for you today. This week, as you're out there in your jobs or in school or you may go, try to be a little fearless. Try to find an opportunity to talk to someone who you normally wouldn't go up to them and say, let me talk to you about Christ. Let me talk to you about my Lord and Savior. You may be surprised at the answer you get. As for some of you who may not be Christians, but you're afraid, I offer you this. Do not be afraid. God will be with you. God will be with you always. And if you are faithful until the end, he will give you a crown of life. So I ask all of you tomorrow and right after you leave this church, be fearless, be shining lights into this world so that God may be glorified and you continue to be hardworking farmers in God's garden. God bless each one of you. And I hope we can all be a little fearless today. Please come forward as we stand and sing.